Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and joining me is a woman that has had many a prose written of and swords clashed over, it's Lydia. <laughs> yes, but you managed to face death every day just to write me a letter, so I owe everything <laughs> to you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful to speak with you again, Lydia. As always, I feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, to speak with you, not... <laughs> yes, I, I feel the same. It's wonderful to speak with me. Oh, well, <laughs> I have strong opinions on women like that, which we'll get to in a moment. <laughs> Before we get to that, I want to first thank everyone for tuning in and to make sure that they and any new listeners know that they can uh, listen and subscribe to this show via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, Oh, we're on Amazon Music now. <laughs> so anywhere that you can listen to podcasts, you will most likely find us. Wherever you happen to listen, if you have an option to rate and review the show, please do so. Five stars or whatever is always preferred. But, you know, <laughs> I, I guess you can be honest. But <laughs> if you're a Facebook user, we have a Facebook group that you can join. This is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next and an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. We have a YouTube channel you can subscribe to. Just search for Orphan Entertainment, and there you can watch many of the films we've covered here on the podcast. I actually kind of quit checking, but last count, I think we were over 2,500 subscribers. Ooh. So that's Thanks, really guys. awesome. Yes. If you would like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. All these links are on our webpage over at orphanedentertainment.com. So I should mention, um, yes, the five-minute mystery. We have not really gotten very far in the production of that. We are going to do it. I do apologize. Pretty much as soon as we actually got any scripts in life i think for both of us kind of suddenly uh, tromped on the gas and we've been kind of we've been a little crazy i think uh <laughs> I, I i don't know i can't speak entirely for lydia I but say, i definitely get yourself. the impression <laughs> i was crazy before <laughs> life launched on me <laughs> <laughs> but we have not forgotten it and it it will get done you may not hear it until 2021 but you will hear it <laughs> We're just saving it for a better year. Like, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect. So let's listen to one of the original five-minute mysteries and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we will discuss, most eloquently, 1950s Cyrano de Bergerac. Another five-minute mystery. Yes, are you Miss Garnett? Yes, I'm so glad you've come, Inspector. It's my sister. She's been murdered. Oh, try to compose yourself, Miss Garnett. Hysterics don't help in cases like this. I know, I know, but I've been waiting for nearly an hour and... Well, this way, Inspector. My sister's body is here in the parlor. Yeah. Let me see. Ah, the bullet pierced her heart. 
Uh, Miss Garnett, uh, suppose you tell me what you know. But I know nothing, Inspector. It's Walter who can tell you he was here. He ran out after the murderer. May I ask the identity of this man, Walter? Walter Benson, my sister's husband. They were separated, have been for a year. Since Ethel left him, she and I have been living here in this country cottage. Now, suppose you tell me the story in its proper order, Miss Garnett, exactly what happened. Well, Ethel was here, and I was upstairs. I heard loud talking, then a shot. I came to the head of the staircase. Walter was coming in the front door and said the murderer had escaped through the back hall. Walter went out after him. In the parlor, I found Ethel. Like this. Mm, I see. Agnes, where are you? It's Walter. He's come back. I'm here, Walter, in the parlor. Is Ethel hurt badly? Walter, Ethel is dead. This is Inspector Delafield. Oh, here, Mr. Benson. Uh, you better sit down. It looks like you're all in. Oh, I am. I I chased him all the way to the Valley Road. He, he had a car there parked in a clump of trees. He got away. Who was this man, Mr. Benson? I don't know. I never got a good look at his face. Uh, when did you first see him? Well, I... I came to see Ethel this afternoon. I was standing on the stoop about to ring the bell, and then I heard the man's voice. He was very angry. I stepped off the stoop, went around to the parlor window, that window there. I stepped onto the climbing rose bush and looked in. He was standing with his back to me. Then he fired. Uh, what did you do then? I ran to the front door. It was unlocked. I threw it open and saw him disappearing down the back hall. Uh, Mr. Benson, uh, those scratches on your hand, how did you come by those? Why, from the, from the rose bush, I suppose, the... The thorns when I was looking in the window. Ah, uh, uh, Mr. Benson, uh, is that the climbing rose bush out there, the one you spoke of? Why, y yes, yes, of course it is. Mm. Through the pane here, it looks like a zephyrine druin. Uh, pink blossoms, climbing variety. Inspector, my sister's murder is escaping, and you give us a dissertation on roses. Yes, Miss Garnett, because the rose bush tells me this man is lying. He is the murderer of Ethel Benson. What was the clue that told Inspector Delafield the truth? Let's see how good a detective you are. In a moment, we'll hear the explanation. But first... Are you looking for some great indie podcasts to listen to? Check out the Pod Nation list on podchaser.com, where you can find a list of great indie podcasts, get links to their official websites, and even listen to some of their episodes without needing to create an account or log in. So once again, for some great indie podcasts... Check out the Pod Nation list on podchaser.com. And now, a final word of explanation from Inspector Delafield. Although Walter Benson's story had a ring of truth in it, because of its simplicity, he made one mistake. Later, he confessed that it was he who had argued with Ethel Benson that in a blind rage he had killed her. It was her fingernails that scratched his hand, not the rosebush. For any amateur flower gardener knows a Zephyrine Druin has no thorns. have seen a production of Cyrano de Verjac or or not you are very likely to still know the basic story 
Uh, Cyrano, a man of infinite talents, a poet, a philosopher, a soldier, and an expert swordsman, but is cursed with a very prominent proboscis. He loves his cousin Roxanne, whom he has grown up with, but fears she would reject him due to his large nose. When he learns that she has eyes for a new soldier in his regiment, Christian, he then learns and then learns that he has eyes for her, but lacks the skill in wordsmithing to properly woo her. He begins to write letters for him to send to Roxanne. The ruse works, and Roxanne believes she has fallen in love with Christiane just from the letters and the words that Cyrano has given him. Circumstances get even more complicated when the young cadet is called to duty and is hastily married to Roxanne before shipping out along with Cyrano. This film was the first motion picture version in English of the play, though there were several other earlier adaptions in uh, different languages. The 1950 film was produced by Stanley Kramer and directed by Michael Gordon. Jose Ferrer received the Academy Award for Best Actor for the starring performance as Cyrano de Bergerac. Mela Powers played Roxanne, and William Prince portrayed Christiane. The film was produced on a significantly lower budget than most costume dramas because the producers were afraid that it would fail at the box office, which it did apparently. Before I actually go any further... I was actually very surprised at the low budget. I, this film feels like a much bigger budget film than apparently it was. I, I would agree, except for the fact that... So, I mean, it's based on a stage play, and it's, it is staged in locations that feel very limited. You can kind of see in the storytelling how it was intended to be portrayed in a small environment. Uh, you know, you don't have a whole lot of, of sweeping action. There definitely is a lot of action in it, but it's not hugely sweeping action. A lot of the, the sets are a small garden or, you know, or a, pl- a playhouse. Or a, a static shot of a street. Yes. Uh, you're, not, you're, not, you're not walking through villages with you know, sweeping vistas or anything right. like that. So you can see where there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of effort put into the costuming, but the sets are actually extremely simple. So for that reason alone, I can see how it was a low budget. And there's, I don't think there's anything ca- uh, actually set on location. Everything looks like backlots to me, or actually everything looks like closed sets to me, actually. Right, yeah, I think everything would probably be studio-bound. Yeah. yes, exactly. Jose Ferrer was born in Puerto Rico in 1912, and his family moved to the U.S. in 1914. He studied architecture and earned a bachelor degree from Princeton University, and he also studied Romance languages at Columbia. How he found the stage I could not find, but shortly after his stint at Columbia, he made his first professional appearance in 1934 and his first Broadway appearance in 1935. He actually ended up winning a Tony Award for his Broadway performance of Cyrano in 1946. Ferrer made his film debut in Joan of Arc in uh, 1948, opposite of Ingrid Bergman as uh, Joan. Ferrer's performance earned him an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. He would continue acting in film and on stage, winning many awards for both, including the Golden Globe and a Best Actor Oscar for the role of Cyrano de Bergerac in this film. And he was the first Puerto Rican-born actor, as well as the first Hispanic actor, to win an Academy Award. 1952, he won the Distinguished Dramatic Actor Award for The Shrike and also the Outstanding Director Award for directing the plays The Shrike, The Four Poster, and Stalag 17. Ferrer's contributions to American theater were recognized in 1981 when he was inducted into the American Theater Hall of Fame. 
and he received the National Medal of Arts from Ronald Reagan, becoming the first actor to receive that honor. Wow. Yeah, amazing uh, career and actor. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have found what it was or where. I'm assuming just in school and in college. He must have just been in theater as well as mm-hmm. studied the architecture mm-hmm. and as well as studied languages. And apparently he was also very good at playing the, he was a, a pianist. Mm. Um, so somehow we found time to actually act. Right. And he, <laughs> as well as everything else he did. <laughs> yeah. He was almost a very Cyrano de Vergiac kind of person. He, yeah. You can see how he got the part. <laughs> there wasn't really much other information or anything that I could find. Uh, yeah. But we're just like I was saying before, the, the small budget, the very studio interior sets and everything. But there was still moments. And I love this about older films. Is something that's kind of lost today is when you need a cast of dozens or hundreds, you have to get dozens or hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a, like a big, a, a big battle, which we, I, I don't want to completely jump all over the place in this, <laughs> but we do see one big battle. And so there's dozens and dozens of people with swords and guns. And like, those are really dozens and dozens of people with swords and gun on yeah. stage. <laughs> <laughs> always impresses me when you see stuff like that in these older films. Well, interestingly, and I had I had read that Cyrano was actually was actually filmed as sort of a a quick inter, intermediary interim uh, because they had intended on shooting the film High Noon, which of course most of you probably heard of, but there was some kind of an issue with getting the rights to it. And so they had some time and some budget and needed to come up with something they could film quickly. And they did Cyrano. And of course, out of it came an Oscar win, which is phenomenal. That's a great story. It's it, you just don't know where something great is going to come out of. He won for the Oscar. It was, it either won or was nominated for several golden globes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, for, for a film that apparently did really poorly at the box office, supposedly they lost, they took like a big hit. I think the the estimated budget was something like four hundred thousand dollars, and I, I thought I read somewhere that they took a loss of almost three hundred thousand. Oh my! Well, it did win two <laughs> Golden Globes, and it was nominated for an additional two. That I actually hadn't caught that it lost that much at the box office. It's interesting though; it's nineteen fifty, and they've gotten past a lot of the costume dramas. It's becoming, you know, we're moving more into that film noir. Well, not film noir, which has been around a while, but more into the the kind of personal drama genre and away from quite so many. And also, interestingly, this was nominated for a for best film in black and white, which brings into stark realization that a lot of films right now were being done in full technicolor. And so for this to have won anything in a time where, you know, they're filming these sweeping westerns and and sweeping epics in full color is also pretty remarkable. Well, and that was they uh, probably a budget decision there. It cost more mm-hmm. to film in color than it does in black and white. Certainly. I'm sure it, it probably it may even be half as much to film in black and white versus using the at, at the time at that probably era, yes. fairly new and expensive color. You know, whatever format you chose. Mm-hmm. Have you seen many other productions of? <laughs> You mean Cyrano aside from Roxanne? <laughs> the Steve Martin film, it's got to come up. I mean, you know, how many of us grew up watching that over and over? Great movie. And it it's remarkably, of course, it's a modernized version of this story. But actually, 
fairly close for in as the storyline goes there are a couple of scenes specifically that are almost identical <laughs> and um so I, there is of course the version with Gerard Depardieu I think that was 1995 um I started watching it and let's just say it's subtitled you can't watch it casually you have to actually watch it so it is one of those that I'd love to get back to someday uh my husband is a huge huge fan of the Count of Monte Cristo with Gerard Depardieu but we didn't get around to finishing it I I could just make excuses all day I will say I watched three versions of this film um there are two on Prime right now and the third I got uh it, from a less uh, uh, reputable source. <laughs> Understood. Uh, but the, it's probably also worth mentioning that one of the two versions on Prime does not have excellent sound quality and one does. So um, I was familiar with the storyline, but it is originally in, the original story is in French. It was originally written in French. So I can't say honestly that I've read it. And no, now I, now it sounds like I'm just making excuses and failing. So no, except for Roxanne, I hadn't. Have you? <laughs> like I was saying, I certainly knew about the story, mm-hmm. uh, or at least the gist of it. Of course. Um, but no, this is actually the first time I think I've actually seen a Cyrano de Bergerac telling Mm-hmm. Uh, in its entirety. I was just curious if you'd seen, if you'd happen to see it actually on stage or anything at any point. Because no. this film is, uh, obviously it's based on, it's kind of, it's a film based on a stage play and then, you know, which the stage play is of course based on you know, a literary work. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I understand it, this film was actually, they, they truncated it even a little bit from the stage mm-hmm. play. They would have had to. I think, the typical stage play I think I saw runs like two and a half two and hours. Two and a half hours. And this runs an hour and 53 minutes, almost a full two hours. So even at right. that, it's not a short film. But yeah, it definitely is. They they trimmed down the cast. They, they kind of combined uh, several characters into one. Apparently they did actually create some scenes that aren't in the play just to help connect the acts a little bit better. Because ah, okay. there are certain things that happen in the play where it's just... It happens off stage, and you get told about it. I guess the next act, mm-hmm. where it's in the film, they actually show the events between the two the two acts. Interesting. Okay. Yes, yeah. which would make sense with a couple of the street scenes specifically. I would think. No, I was just curious because you're typically a little bit more in tune to some of the more the classic, um, <laughs> and some of the you know the stage or what the a, other film. What a genteel know. way of putting it. No, it is one. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting story. As I mentioned, I grew up, of course, with the Steve Martin version, which it can't be denied. It is the same story. Uh, it is it is the same story, but set in a modern era, modern, you know, for the 1980s. <laughs> um, but there's not a lot of deviation from it. So it's interesting. I think I, I think I hadn't realized that there was an English version of it until we ran across this one. Um, and, and I'm really sad about it because as soon as Jose Ferrer shows up on the screen, which is kind of funny because you see the bottom of his feet before you see anything else, um, but his <laughs> voice is just phenomenal. Booming. What a voice. Oh, I, oh my gosh. I could listen to him talk all day. I actually went to the effort of looking up his, um, his Oscar win for this. 
Sadly, he wasn't in the he wasn't in the award ceremony that night. But they had a. Oh. I wish I could remember the terminology. They had a, a direct call to him. He was at a radio station in New York, and they were of course there expecting him to receive the award. And as soon as his voice came over the speakers in the in the theater or the award center, the nominees are Louis Calhoun in The Magnificent Yankee, Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Jose Ferrer in Cyrano de Bergerac, a Stanley Kramer production, United Artists. William Holden in Sunset Boulevard, Paramount. James Stewart in Harvey, Universal International. And Spencer Tracy in Father of the Bride, Metro Goldwyn Mayer. And now may I have the envelope, please? The winner is Jose Ferrer in Mr. Ferrer is not in the house, but as Fred Astaire said, there is a group waiting to hear results in New York at the other end of an open ABC circuit. I'm sure Jose is with them. How about it, Mr. Ferrer? Have you anything on your mind? Ladies and gentlemen, here we are in New York, and now here is our winner, Mr. Jose Ferrer. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. 3,000 miles away. Hello, my dear, beloved Helen Hayes. How wonderful to hear your voice. And I know it's kind of conventional to thank people, but I'm going to be conventional because I'm sincere. All of you who are connected with this picture, Stanley, Mike, Carl, Frank Planner, George, Mala, Bill Prince, Morris Karnofsky, all of you, you know as well as I do that it's your Oscar as much as it is mine. Also to you, ladies and gentlemen of the Academy, who voted for me, you must know that this means more to me than just the honor accorded to an actor. And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for what I consider a vote of confidence and an act of faith. And believe me, I will not let you down. And one more thing, I think the most important winner of all tonight is the man with a long nose himself who has ridden victoriously through the pages of dramatic literature for over 50 years, and this is just the beginning for Cyrano de Bergerac. Thank you very much. That voice, it's such, a, it's such a great voice. It's so theatrical. It is, it is the theatrical voice that I think per, probably every male actor wishes he had. So I, it's the Sean Connery of stage voices, I think. It's, you could just listen to it all day. He's phenomenal. No, you could absolutely picture someone like this coming on stage and just booming it. You know, it, make sure the guys in the back row can hear him. No problem. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> yeah. he's and So it's, it's interesting because... Uh, you know, even even knowing ahead of time, going into it, knowing that he'd won an award for it, you're not prepared for it. Um, I, I think it's one of those things where, okay, it's a it's a from a French novel, so of course it's going to be a differently paced than typical American stories are. It's probably going to be a bit more uh, flowery. 
eloquent. <laughs> yeah, flowery. Okay. Let's say eloquent. Um, <laughs> flowery. That's a better word for it, though. It's going to, you know, in the in the, the themes in it are going to be really different. I was watching a TV show the other day that mentioned, you know, the difference between American the Americans and the French. And an American happy ending, the boy gets the girl, they live happily ever after. A French happy ending, everybody dies. <laughs> that's how the French end romances. And so, so I feel like I went on a huge tangent. Oh, but the themes are going to be different. The 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 dialogue is going to be different. The scenes are going to be different. The settings are going to be different. And it is. It's it's a very small town kind of feel. And you're dealing with a man who from the beginning interestingly, has defeated himself. A man who's remarkably talented, remarkably intelligent, but immediately he has already decided there's one area in his life that he can never win. And I love the scene at the beginning, just after he's gotten into a bit of a, let's say a rumble. <laughs> Let me put it eloquently. He got into a rumble with someone and the whole time is just sheer brilliance, spouting out poetry, uh, we'll get back to the humorous scene in just a moment. But he's uh, approached by a young maid, presumably, an actual, like, servant. Come on, let's go to dinner. Dinner? No, not I. Why not? Because I have no money. But the purse of gold. Farewell, paternal pension. Then you have until the first of next month. Nothing. What a fool. Yes, but what a moment. Pardon, monsieur. A man ought never to go hungry. I have everything here. Please. My dear child, I cannot bend this Gascon pride of mine to accept such a kindness. But I... Yet for fear that I may give you pain if I refuse, I will take something. A grape. One only. And a glass of water. No, clear. And uh, half a macaroon. Nothing more? Why, yes. Your hand to kiss. Thank you, sir. idiot. She's smitten with him. She's just so obviously smitten with him and anybody can tell it. And he just is like, oh, you know, I'll have a grape and a, and a glass of water and, and I'll kiss your hand. And she looks like she's about to faint. Like she is so <laughs> starstruck. And, and I love it because he doesn't notice. And his friend is just looking at him like, you are an idiot. You're so blind. This pretty girl is totally flirting yes. with you and you can't tell. So it's interesting. He his character flaw, interestingly, is not as plain. It is as plain as the nose on his face, but it isn't literally his nose. <laughs> he'll take offense. He'll take offense at that. <laughs> well, I'm a lady. <laughs> he probably wouldn't cross swords with me. But <laughs> for me, it was interesting that the film starts, and you know, he is interrupting a play because he doesn't like the actor mm -hmm. who's on stage. And I'm like, wait, this is our hero, and he's a total ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it, though. This is, again, this is an interesting point. Everything revolves around this. It, he, we come to find out that he's he hates this actor because the actor is pompous and 
and a bad actor, which in Cyrano's mind is probably the worst offense that an actor can possibly have. But beyond that, he also flirts with the young ladies in town and one young lady in particular. And this Cyrano has taken offense to. And so he has warned him off. Don't be an actor anymore. You're a crappy actor. Stop flirting with the ladies. And yet the actor persists. And so Cyrano intervenes and he does so in a genius way. He does it not by being derogatory but well i mean he is derogatory but he's very direct he's not trying to be sly about it he's saying look i'm setting myself up here and anybody that wants to fight with me i'm willing to fight with you on this point but this man doesn't deserve to have the stage well i i think what happened is i i started thinking and yes he's incredibly rude to just about everybody (laughs) but i realized this is a man who has probably grown up his entire life being teased, Mm -hmm. bullied, and abused because of this incredibly large nose. Mm -hmm. And so he's had to steel himself against all that. And he does it by, A, becoming an expert swordsman. So there is, like, no one that can beat him at the sword. Mm -hmm. And it also, he becomes an an expert with his wits. Mm Mm-hmm. And with his speech. I mean, his tongue is as sharp as his sword. Mm -hmm. And he uses that. And when you kind of grow up, you grow up in that environment. Yeah, you would naturally be kind of rude to just about everybody, (laughs) I think. Because you're always expecting them. You're always expecting them to... You're just waiting for that moment. Or, Or you're assuming that, well, they might be nice to me, but... Behind my back, they're talking about my nose. Well, so that's I think that, interesting. That's where he's coming from. I don't perceive him as being rude to everybody. I perceive him as being, what's the word I want? As being derogatory toward people who deserve it. So he, <laughs> he there's a moment where he goes on about, he sees these, you know, these fellows that are, they're looking, they're making friends as dogs make friends on their, on all fours, licking hands, you know, and should he do that just to satisfy somebody just for money? And he says, no, thank you. And, and he, and this is one of those people that even though he hasn't made that speech yet, this is definitely a dog licking shoes. This is definitely a man who has, he, he's not any good at what he does, but he's gotten his position by making friends, by taking gold with one hand while... Uh, You're talking about the actor the that actor. he's disparaging. Yes, again. yes, yeah. the actor. Uh, he, so he's not... It's, I don't perceive it as him being rude to everybody. He's not rude to the people that he respects. He's not rude to his friend. He's not rude to ladies. He's not even rude to, to maids, to servants. He's very polite. He's extremely polite to her. He's not derogatory toward her at all. But to a person that he sees and perceives clearly as being beneath him. He's he's calling that out and he's following it up sharply and and it won't let it go. And it, and it, it is interesting. I think if you're just looking at it as him harassing an actor, yeah, he's pretty offensive. But once you learn the background to it, which they go to the point of, they make the point of this is what happened. This actor has been flirting with the woman that he loves passionately. And the guy's just basically a, just a, a total, I'm trying to think of a, a, a podcast appropriate word. He's just a loser. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a total, just, just a, a, a false 
moron, basically. And I love the scene too, where he says, "When I count, when I clap my hands thrice, you will eclipse yourself, full moon." And I love it. He claps <laughs> his hand, and the man says, "I won't budge." And he claps his hand again, and he says, "Nothing can move me from this stage." And he claps his hand again, and all you see is the flutter of the the handkerchief. Like a handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The guy's gone. He knows better. I love it. And and that's I think you see first of all that. Everybody respects Cyrano. Everybody knows how good he is with the sword. And then you learn through the next part of the scene that he is his he's as good with his wits as he is with the sword, as you said. So it's it's a great way to introduce the character. I suppose uh, a good description of Cyrano is someone who does not suffer fools gladly. That is the perfect description of him. Yes. But we gotta talk. You just mentioned it. You called it a rumble. But we have to talk <laughs> about that because... That is probably one of the best on-screen sword fights I have ever seen. That is exactly what I thought when I watched it the first time. I thought it was amazing. Dang, this is a really good sword fight. <laughs> it was really good. It looked like two people who had studied the sword their entire lives. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, I was mesmerized at that scene, mm-hmm. at, or at, at that that entire fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. And I mean, and as you mentioned, I'm a big fan of the swashbuckling movies. Dana Kay is one of my all-time favorites. I totally love Basil Rathbone, who is in pretty much every sword fighting movie you can think of, with the notable exception of Cyrano. But mm-hmm. and, and so I've seen a lot of sword fighting, especially from this era, and this one boggled me. I was just delighted. I was just delighted, and that's not pretentious to say at all. <laughs> <laughs> a snort, great. But no, it was full of, immediately watching it, I thought, oh, whoa, that's like, that's good sword fighting. And, and I love it that you noticed that too, because it, it's not something I would have thought of. I'm very used to seeing like stage sword fights. Yes, And you exactly. could kind of tell, and you could like, oh, and you could sit there and go, one, two, three, one, two, yes. three. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes. This did not feel like this at all. No. The way they held themselves, the way they used the swords, the way they, uh, it, it was just. The way they moved. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. They and then absolutely impressive. scatter in there this poetry that he's spouting off, let's say, extemporaneously. Yes. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, we've gotten a little ahead of it, though. Before that, even, there's the scene where the man who he eventually gets into a sword fight with insor- insults him. I love the way he insults him. He says, sir, your nose, your nose is very large. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is that even an insult? It's just a fact. <laughs> but he's very clearly trying to bring Cyrano down. And Cyrano responds, is that all? Well, of course, sir. Ah, no, young sir, you're too simple. Why, you might have said a great many things. Why waste your opportunity? For example, thus. Aggressive. I, sir, if that nose were mine, I'd have it amputated on the spot. Practical. How do you drink with such a nose? You must have had a cup made especially. Descriptive. Tis a rock, a crag, a cape. A cape? Say rather a peninsula. Inquisitive. What is that receptacle? A razor case or a portfolio? Kindly. Ah, do you love the little birds so much that when they come and sing to you, you give them this to perch on? Cautious. Take care. A weight like that might make you top-heavy. Eloquent. When it blows, the typhoon howls and the clouds darken. Dramatic. When it bleeds, the Red Sea. Simple. 
Uh, when do they unveil the monument? Military. Beware. A secret weapon. Enterprising. What a sign for some perfumer. Respectful. Uh, sir, I recognize in you a man of parts, a man of um, prominence. Or literary. Was this the nose that launched a thousand ships? These, my dear sir, are things you might have said had you some tinge of letters or of wit to color your discourse. But wit, not so. You never had an atom. And of letters, you need but three to write you down. A, S, S. I was so happy to know that this scene was not thought up by Steve Martin in the 1980s. Not because it, Steve Martin doesn't do it brilliantly. It is hilarious. It is the funniest, up until seeing Cyrano, this version, it was the funniest scene I'd ever seen of people, of a great comeback. But it actually is the same in this, too. He's, he comes up with 20 insults for the guys, Sir, your nose is rather large. I love it. <laughs> when it bleeds, the Red Sea. <laughs> yeah. <It is> all, <laughs> everything. Excuse me, sir. When do they unveil the monument? You know, oh, the insults are great. <laughs> I love that he labels each of them, too. It's, again, one of the funniest scenes I'd ever seen. And I thought it was just something Steve Martin had come up with or that they had written for that part. I mean, it was written for that part, but it, it was written, what, 100 years, 150 years beforehand, which makes it even better. I love the humor in it. It's so funny. Uh, so, no, so we are treated to a fantastic sword fight and some great little comedy and, yeah, some insults. And that's just in like the first 10, 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Right off the bat, it's kind of like, I'm in. <laughs> yes. You have, first of all, this actor that immediately you can tell this is going to be a good actor. This is going to be a good character. And then launch into the humor of it. And then the sword play of it. And then the self-effacing humility of him when this beautiful woman is obviously trying to flirt with him. And he just misses it. It just goes past right. his nose if he would uh <laughs> and uh and he, it makes him immediately a completely lovable character yeah uh, i guess at that point well we meet her uh sort of briefly i guess is um in the in the uh in the play she's in the box uh we actually meet Roxanne, mm -hmm. but we get to see we get to meet her uh a little bit more i guess after that oh that is actually sometime right after this is uh one of roxanne's chambermaids or you know servants come mm -hmm. to Cyrano and tells him that oh, she would like to to meet you privately and he's finally thinking this is after he finally admits to his 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 friend that Roxanne is the woman that has his heart mm -hmm. you know that's why he doesn't see that this girl is really flirting with him it isn't so much that he doesn't see it it's a, he's oblivious to it because his heart is so arrow focused on Roxanne well and of course you know he's already resigned himself he says you know this is the face that even the ugliest woman couldn't possibly love and I right. have fallen in love with the most beautiful of women which is friend that immediately knows most beautiful woman your Roxanne gotta be your cousin <laughs> he knew yeah. exactly who you're talking about your cousin <laughs> And it she and it's interesting because we do see her briefly, and the the I believe it's the Comte de Guiche is who asks her when when oh that fellow was you know a, an amazing sword fighter and it had some great lines or you know great lines of poetry when does he take off his comical nose and she says he does not sir he keeps it and and there's a little bit of uh, intelligence in there and a little bit of venom in there where she, you can see she's gonna she's gonna stick up for Cyrano if she has to. 
Because, you know, of course, he's her beloved cousin. They've been childhood friends all this time. But we get the hint, or he gets a hint, that maybe she does have feelings for him. And so he, he's very excited at this, at this prospect. And so they arrange to meet at this, you know, at the bakery. And we get the, uh, the moment where, you know, he's there. He's thinking this is finally going to be it. He's going to be able to, you know, admit his love for her. And she turns out she loves him. And no, she mentions that she's, in, you know, she's smitten with this other person. Oh, my God. You just, you're crushed. Mm. I mean, you know what's happening. You know what's going to happen. But you still are absolutely crushed when that moment occurs. Mm-hmm. Leading up to this, he's he's getting the scene set. You know, he wants somewhere private to talk to her. He knows she wants to say something personal to him. But I love the moment. They knock on the door and he goes to answer the door, but he stops and he leans against it like he's stealing himself. Like, okay, I got to. I got to be ready for this. Like, I can't, I can't just jump into it. I have to wait for her to, you know, admit it first or whatever. And then he opens the door. There are just little bits like that throughout the whole thing where he's so human. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I think that's, I think that if it weren't for that, if he were really 100% perfect, then you would just be like, eh, this guy's kind of arrogant and a jerk, but there just are those little human moments in it. And as Roxanne is saying, you know, oh, you know, remember when we were children and I would, you know, if you hurt your hand, I would take care of it. And, oh, you you know, you're such a good friend to me and there's somebody I love, but, oh, should I tell you? And she goes through this whole thing. Oh, gosh, she's she's just horrible. I hate her. <laughs> she's she is what you call, I think, blindly in love and, you know, of course, doesn't notice anything around her. And when he, she's saying, you know, oh, he's intelligent and he's in in your, you know, he's in your regiment and, and this and that. Oh, and he's young and he's handsome. And his and Cyrano's face just <laughs> falls. He's like, what? <laughs> We're not talking about yeah. the same person, are we? <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Yeah. And that's where, again, you feel very sad because Cyrano, the whole time, everything she every adjective that she throws out, he's thinking, well, that's me. I'm intelligent. I'm brilliant. I'm I'm part of this guard, and and he's handsome. Oh, clearly <laughs> not me. Yeah, not me. Yeah, yeah. like oh, poor Cyrano. Yeah. Well, gosh, we even skipped the part where he kills eight men on the way there. <laughs> oh, we do, we do, we do forget miss the the, the <laughs> yes his his fight with the Huffet the hundred ruffians in the street who uh I guess were uh. We're paid off by someone to, to terrorize the uh, the baker. The, the and baker so his, slash he, poet. <laughs> yes, because uh, yeah, if something happens to him, then his store won't be open in the morning. Mm-hmm. So he has to <laughs> he has to make sure he gets home safely. Yeah, I love it though. He's like, ah, oh, you know, don't I don't like give me a hundred men to fight. I'm so happy I could just fight a hundred men. And then the guy shows up and says, there are a hundred men that are going to kill me. And he's like, sweet. <laughs> I'm going to go fight him now. It's like, dude, she hasn't said she loves you yet. Maybe you don't get yourself killed yet. <laughs> yes. But no, he prevails and actually kills eight of, I think, 11 men. Three men end up running off into the night. And great. Another really... Very good fighting scene. The end of it is a particular favorite for me. He he actually disarms three men of their swords in the same motion, and then throws his <laughs> yes. own away and fights and faces them with fists, and they just turn heel and run. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And but then you know, of course, the next morning, then Roxanne saying, "Oh, I I love this handsome young man that's just shown up. I've seen him. I haven't spoken to him, and I've only seen him at." the theater and come to find out he just showed up yesterday. So literally she's seen him one time. She's madly in love with him. She's never spoken to him, but she can tell he's a poet from his eyes. This is what we call denial. This is not a bright (laughs) woman. Although I know she's supposed to, she's intelligent, which is what makes it even worse is she is an intelligent person. And she does say a lot of things that you're going, okay, she's bright, but you kind of get there's, there's a line in 10 Things I Hate About You that I think describes it perfectly. Because here's this woman that three men are in love with. And she decides she loves the guy because he's cute and she sees him across a crowded room. And you really got to ask, like, what is it with this chick? Does she have beer-flavored nipples or what's going on here? <laughs> it's like, ah. Uh, she, But she's not stupid, which makes it all the more confusing. But she can tell from right. a person's eyes that they're a poet because also they're hot. Okay. Obviously, she's a horrible judge of that character, too, because <laughs> Christiane can't put two and two words together to make a sentence. Not to speak to a woman, <laughs> no. Right, yes. <laughs> Good point, yes. He seems to do fine in general, but yes, he uh, he does have some issues when trying to, to speak to the... I was going to say the fairer sex, but that doesn't seem like... Well, you can say, say that. It's, it's poetic. <laughs> <laughs> so when we do finally meet Christiane... He is uh, the new guy in the regiment, and unfortunately, unfortunately, not only does he show up and uh, get challenged, his honor gets, or his, I suppose his courage gets challenged just at the opportune moment, but also, unfortunately, Roxanne has already asked Cyrano to make sure to defend Christian, because as we know, his... Regiment is a little bit mean to newcomers, so won't won't Cyrano please be a friend to him and keep him from mm-hmm. getting murdered by their fellow soldiers? And of course, Cyrano, unable to deny Roxanne anything, says, "Yes, I'll be his friend." Which then it leads to a very fun thing because yes, the uh, one of the other soldiers. They're all in the bakery having their croissants and beer and whatever <laughs> wine, <Croissants> whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot. This is supposed to be French. Croissants and wine. There you go. You there! Are you addressing me? Yes, you flat-footed Norman farmer. You wish something of me? Listen, Monsieur de... 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 whatever your name is. De Nevelette! Baron Christian de Nervelet. Very well, de Nervelet. As you are a newcomer here, you should know there is a certain subject or object, if you prefer, that is never mentioned among us. And that is... Look at me. Do you understand? You mean the... No. We never speak that word. To even breathe it is to have to do with him. He has exterminated several whose mere tone of voice suggested... Would you die before your time? Just mention anything convex or cartilaginous. One word, one syllable, one gesture, nay, one sneeze. And your handkerchief becomes your winding sheet. Captain. Sir, what is the proper thing to do when Gascons grow too boastful? Prove to them that one may be a Norman and still have courage. Come on, Cyrano, your story. Ah. Ah. 
Ah, let me see. Where shall we begin? I set out with our host to meet those scoundrels, not knowing where they might attack. No lamps in those narrow back streets. No moon in the sky. Dark. Everything dark. It was so dark, Mordius, you could not see beyond... Your nose! Who is that man there? A new recruit. Arrived last week. A recruit, eh? <laughs> His name is Christian de Novillette. your hand before your eyes. I marched on thinking how all for the sake of one amateur poet who wrote a verse whenever he took a noseful. Whenever he took a notion, I might antagonize some dangerous man. One powerful enough to make me pay through the nose. Pay the piper. After all, I thought, why am I putting in my nose? However, now that I am here, I may as well go through with it. Come, Gascon, do your duty. Suddenly, a sword flashed in the dark. I caught it fair on the nose of my blade. Before I knew it, that I was rubbing noses, crossing swords with half a score at once. I had one of them. Close game! Monsangri! He went down the rest they way. I charged. Close the air! I skewed two of them. This on the third. Another lunged, and I parried with your nose. Run out of here, all of you. Go, leave me with you. And Cyrano realizes who this person is, and he's like, I'm ready to strangle you. Your name's Christian? I'm just going to keep telling my story. (laughs) This is another great, there's so many great scenes like this where there's, and and I, I find it interesting that in this story, to me, I think all the great scenes are between Cyrano and other men. <laughs> I love the scenes between between him and the, the initial sword fight and then this moment where Christian is just insulting him over and over and over and over ad nauseum until he just can't take it anymore and he has to do something about it. And so he decides to, he tells him, oh, I'm going to be your buddy because I am the brother slash distant cousin of the woman that you you know, are obviously in love with because you have to be in love with her because everybody's in love with her because she's Ramona Flowers. I mean, she's Roxanne. So. <laughs> so, yeah, so Cyrano gives him words to say. They actually sit there and rehearse. Can, can you can you remember the thing? The, the If I <laughs> if I give you things to say, will you remember them? And so they sit there and rehearse and, and, and memorize all these wonderful sonnets and poems and, and there's just things, just flowery things to say to, to Roxanne. And it seems like a sounds like a good idea at first, but then you you gotta take that next step and think there's gotta be a moment, and we do actually finally see it when <laughs> Christian and Roxander together. And, oh, say something nice and wonderful. Now, speak to me. I love you. Yes, speak to me of love. I love you. Now be eloquent, be brilliant for me, tonight of all nights. I love you so, 
You have your thing. Now improvise, rhapsodize. I love you very much. I ask for cream and you give me milk and water. Tell me first a little how you love me. Very much. Is that all you feel? Your throat. If only I might kiss it. Christian! But Roxanne, I love you. Again? No, not again. I do not love you. That is better. I... I adore you. I know I grow absurd. And that distresses me as much as if you had grown ugly. Oh, please. Gather your dreams together into words. I... I... I know you love me. Good night. No, but wait, please. I was going to say... That you adore me. Yes, I know that too. No, I... go away. I, love I you. like you a lot. <laughs> I know. I love you. Yes, and <laughs> I love you. How do you love me? A lot. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, yes, I know you love me. No, I don't love you. Well, that's better. <laughs> this is how Roxanne makes me crazy because she is, uh, she's basically demanding and shallow and like she's just, she's petulant. She's a petulant young woman who really just wants to be flattered. And as long as she's being flattered, she's super happy. But as soon as you stop flattering her in a creative way, she gets like petulant and stalks off. And I'm like, oh, why do people like this woman? It just goes to prove that men love a pretty face and it doesn't matter what's behind it. And that's the end of the podcast. No, it's not. <laughs> but, it, but it is interesting. She's an intelligent woman, but she just continually throughout the story is so blind and and right. I think in a way, interestingly, I'm maybe getting ahead of myself, but I won't. I don't want to lose the thought. She's lying to herself as much as Cyrano lies to himself, and in that sense, they mm. are perfect for each other because she's yeah. just happy to believe that this man who I love it. She when she's telling Cyrano about the poetry that Christiane tells her, and at some point she says, you know, he he'll occasionally pause and lose himself in reverie and then comes back, but when Christiane is there. I love it. She's she's basically like, he shatners me. But then he gets really brilliant again, so it's okay. <laughs> and, then it, and then a bit on, after Christian has completely failed to impress her because he's actually not a poet, and Cyrano is feeding him lines under a dark balcony, and she actually says to him, why are you shattering me? What's going on? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> In so many words, why do you keep hesitating? You know, why are you speaking so slowly to me? <laughs> she's try, she's lying to herself a hundred percent of the time. She just intentionally, she want, you know, it's like Steve Martin says, you want the the cute little face and the cute little, what does he say? Butt all wrapped up with a cute little nose. You know, she wants all of it. Right. She doesn't want a real person. She wants a fantasy. Because we actually kind of get the impression early on that she's not. A dumb woman. She's you know, not she does stupid. have some intelligence. Yeah. But there are times where you're thinking, how does she not recognize the words coming out of the Christian's mouth sounding so much like Cyrano? Exactly. She's and then when there actually, in the theater. And then when they're doing the balcony thing and they're they're not being able to, you know, the why are you pausing? Why are you waiting for? What did you say? And Cyrano finally just throws Christian underneath <laughs> the balcony and stands in the shadows and spouts it all out himself. 
and she doesn't recognize the voice. How does she not recognize his voice? Yes. I know this is kind of one of those things where you have to hit the I believe button, you know, for for any kind of movie or play. Because this is is the romance or whatever. Yes. But I was thinking, oh, you know what? In the end, she's going to know that it was always Cyrano. That's where this is going. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't where it went. I was so disappointed. <laughs> well, and that's the deal is, I think, I guess the point there being love is blind. She is intentionally mm-hmm. blind mm-hmm. to herself. She wants Christian to be the one that is madly in love with her because she saw him across the theater, decided he was hot and he has the eyes of a poet, and therefore she must be right because she's a woman and right, women don't right. want to admit they're wrong. I can say that because I'm a woman, okay? So before <laughs> everybody, like, rails on me... <laughs> Nobody ever wants to admit that they're wrong. But in this case, she's proving that love is blind. And so, of course, she wants to be flattered. She wants to be adored. And in the moment that that's happening, all she cares about is her own feelings. And so she's happy to ignore whatever inconsistencies there are, even if she notices them and does call attention to them, which, thank you. If she hadn't mentioned it at all, I would have been like, now this is just unbelievable. But she does bring, she does mention it. And of course, you know, oh, my, my words are... Are bees laden with honey? They're heavy to float up to you and all the other stuff that women love to hear. <laughs> but I will say this is this is one of those scenes. This is, I think, the scene that I think does better than Roxanne. I'm so sorry to compare them. I can't help it. <laughs> but the, the poem, I, I hesitate to use the word poetry, but it is poetry. The words that Cyrano uses in this version are aside from being antiquated and you probably have to like a little bit older English to be able to catch it all. They really are beautiful. He really does express things in a beautiful way and it is captivating and it is entrancing and it's easy to, I think I can see how it would be easy, especially in this time period where there's no TV and you don't, you know, you can't look it up on Google and say, Hey, did he get this from somewhere else? (laughs) It would be easy to fall for it. From here, you almost kind of it kind of makes a uh, a quick dash to the end of the film. Uh, although, like I said, or like you said, it's almost two hours long. Yeah. But so much of that time is taken up by the fact that the way people speak. Yes, <laughs> to, there is to, a to lot say of simple things. Yes. yes. <laughs> Having only seen, I guess Roxanne, and prior to watching this film, did the ending surprise you? At all. Uh, it did in this... Or were you kind of expecting it because, like you were saying, because <laughs> this French. is French? Uh, it did surprise me. And do, uh, do, I suppose we want to ask, do we want to get into that? Do we want to get into the end of it? I think we can probably go ahead and spoil this one. <laughs> okay. This doesn't seem like the kind of film that's just, you know... It's not going to um, shock you too badly. It, well, and it's not going to... It's not one of the most easily accessible films for a, a general audience, I suppose. That is true. It is, it is a very specific type of story. And it, it's it's one of those... It's interesting. I love that they reference this. They reference Don Quixote in this. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they... You know, the, when the Contagish is talking to Cyrano and he says, have you, have you read... Uh, the Don Quixote and he says yes and found myself the hero and he says well remember what happens when you tilt at windmills you might get knocked down into the mud you know and Cyrano says or, or cast pulled up, up to the into the yeah, stars cast up to the sky yes. yeah. um, I love that they reference it because it has I think a very similar feel it's a it's a story about a character that you just are in awe of 
here is a man who believes what he believes so firmly that he'll fight to the death for it, that loves so passionately, passionately that he doesn't care that the woman that he loves is completely out of his reach and can never be his. He is, he's, he loves the love itself. He, he loves her despite her inaccessibility. And he's a poet and he's brave and he's, uh, he's all the things that a hero should be. And yet he is a tragic figure. By definition, he's not going to, he's not ever going to achieve the one thing he desires most, which is, I suppose, the definition of a tragedy. And so, yes, I, I was startled by the ending, <laughs> but it feels very familiar because, you know, if you've seen Don Quixote, there are other stories out there. I think Life is a House is one where you know that the hero can't end up, but you hope, you know, as Americans, of course, as I mentioned earlier, we hope he'll live happily ever after, get the girl and live happily ever after, but not every story ends that way. So yeah, I was very surprised. I was surprised by the end in that neither one of them ends up with Roxanne in a way. Um, and they both do in a way, I suppose. I was a little surprised it took her 14 years to figure out the awful truth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, Christiane goes down, they find a letter on him you know, a letter close to his heart that was, you know, supposed to be for Roxanne. And she takes it. And I was thinking, oh, you know what? In that letter is probably Christiane admitting to Roxanne. Cyrano wrote the everything. letter. Oh, but Cyrano wrote the letter. Cyrano wrote the letter. Oh, but see, I was wondering whether that letter was actually written ah, by Cyrano. I thought we would find out. I thought we'd find out that Christiane that was an actual letter too. from Christiane. Because he, he, in, in the... In the interim, he does find out that, wait a minute, you love Roxanne? All this stuff that you've been... Oh. He, he's realized that Cyrano is really kind in of living... With uh, yeah. Is in love with Roxanne and is living kind of vicariously with these letters, you know, through mm -hmm. Christiane. And Christiane is like, no, look, you need to tell her. You, the, we, we can get this annulled. It, mm -hmm. you know, the wedding, we got married, but we can get it annulled. It, you know, you love her. She loves you. She doesn't love me. She loves the words. She loves, you know, the mind. And I thought, okay, that letter was actually going to be from Christiane explaining to Roxanne what's been happening and who she's truly in love with is, you know, and who's wrote it, who's written all this, all these wonderful words. That doesn't happen either. Every time I, all of my expectations were shot asunder by this film. That's interesting. See, I, and I didn't catch it that way. I knew that Cyrano had written a letter, of course, you know, and his tears are on it because he knew that he, they're all going to go to their death that day. He and his entire regiment are going to their death that day, you know. And so he writes her a letter of, you know, tragic goodbye. It's a French story. So, yeah. but I, I do remember the letter with the tear, but I think that was a different letter that was earlier on. I thought. Well, and it maybe I could be cut. mistaken. So it, no, there is a cut. So it is a, it's understandable. It's an understandable misconception. But but it is interesting because you know, of course, Christian finding out that well, Roxanne appears and says, I, "I love you. I would love you even if you were ugly." And he, you know, is like, "Oh, well, then Cyrano needs to tell you something." And at that moment, I thought he'd say because up until now, it's all been about, it's been about the kiss for him. You know, he wants this beautiful woman, and he does love her. But he's young and he's horny and sorry for putting it so bluntly, but that's what he is. And so when he realizes, oh, this other man really loves her, she might really love him. Well, she does apparently really love him. But I do love it. There's a moment there where he says, you have to tell her and, and she'll choose between us. And Cyrano says, she'll choose you. And Christiane says, I hope so. And he's serious about it. I love it. And right. so for that reason, I thought... 
I guess I, I just ran with the concept that no, he's not gonna he's not gonna intentionally sabotage it. He really does want Roxanne. He can't express how he feels about her. And no, I, I don't think that his feelings are quite as shallow as I was expressing them. But at the same time, he also doesn't. I, I like that he doesn't want to be loved just for his looks. I really respect mm-hmm. that about him because. Through the whole thing, you're kind of getting this impression that he's kind of this guy that, yeah, she's the hottest woman he's ever seen. And, yeah, he would he would love to, you know, get together with that. But you don't really know. Like, he says he loves her, but he also says he knows when to take a woman in his arms. And so you're thinking, and so I'm thinking, well, you know, yeah, he really likes her. But, you know, how much does a man, how much can a man like a woman that he's not actually in love with? Well, in this case, mm-hmm. it turns out Christiane is actually in love with her. He just, he just is himself. He's not a poet. He's not, you know, a genius swordsman or anything right. like that. So it's interesting. I actually, I, I developed a lot of respect for Christiane through this movie. As much as Cyrano's easy to love, but Christiane is one of the the characters. He's just so eclipsed by Cyrano, which is funny because you know, of course, in Cyrano's mind, the opposite is true. But Christiane is just so eclipsed by Cyrano that at first you think, well, he's just this, you know, probably this shallow rake. There's a word for you. He's a rake. Yeah. And, and, and it turns out not to be true. And so it's, it's interesting. So you have these two men that are both kind of worthy of Roxanne. Probably two men that are more worthy of her than she is of them. Yeah, yeah. She actually, in the end, comes out to be the one that's... Well, like you've you've said it multiple times, it's you're kind of wondering why are these two men after this woman? <laughs> Three there's, men. There's got to be because the Contagish is after her as well. He just is oh, a little bit more point. minor yeah. in it. Yeah. <laughs> right. You forgot about him. Yeah. <laughs> Although another character, it's interesting. All I think, well, maybe not all the men in this, but most of the men in this, you you really develop a respect for. If you, as you pay, I, I've watched this movie like four times. Okay, it's probably worth <laughs> mentioning. So I, I think I probably bore down a little more into the nuance than I typically do. But in this case, you know, all of the characters in it—well, not all of the characters, but the main characters in it—really are honorable, intelligent people. None of them are just, you know, uh, comic. I suppose. So it's interesting you develop these this respect for all of these these men in her life over time. And, and to be fair, Roxanne near the end, uh, especially as she's talking to Christiane, she says, I, I came here to because I owe you an apology. I was I was light and selfish and foolish and I only loved you because of the things on the surface, the things that you said to me and, and the way that you looked. But now that you've written me every day, I don't just love the things you say to me in the way that you look. I love your soul. I understand you now. And I understand now that you could never be happy being loved just for the things that you say to somebody or for your looks. It's more than that. It's who you really are. And, and I suppose in that way, she actually redeems herself to me. Because up until that point, she really has just loved him on the surface because of the flattery in his looks. But at that point when she says, even if he were ugly, even if he were disfigured, I would still love him. Then it's like, okay, now she's finally worthy of Cyrano. And of course he dies. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's French. (laughs) 14 years later. 14 years later. (laughs) And never telling her the truth. (laughs) Right. Oh, those French. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. There's moments at, at, towards the end of this film where you feel uplifted, but then that's only so you could get dropped that much further, <laughs> I think, by the actual end. Yeah, that's certainly a way to look at it. And in a way, I think the real tragedy of this story is Roxanne. Because she's so blind her whole life, she never sees the people that love her and really sees them until they die. I mean, every person that she finally sees, like really sees and understands, she only sees them at the end. Whereas Christian is at least striving for what he loves. And Cyrano really holds firmly to what he believes in the whole time. And Roxanne either spends her time wanting to be adored or mourning the loss of something that really she she didn't understand to begin with. So it is interesting. It is her. She in a way isn't it isn't hasn't it been said that the the theme of the beautiful young woman being punished is always a favorite. And I think you see that a lot here. She really even though it is through her own folly, she is heavily punished. She loses both men that love her and doesn't understand them. You imagine the day after that this movie ends. Yeah. You know, she her life goes on and she now realizes that for the past, you know, let's say fifteen years. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, she's been living in a convent for fourteen of them, so in a way right, her exactly. life goes but, on. <laughs> but the whole time, you know, the woman that she truly or the, the, the man that she truly loved, the soul that she truly loved was with her the whole time. And she couldn't figure that out for 14 years. I feel like this is a woman that is emotionally crippled, to put it kindly. Is And we're being yeah. a little harsh. As, as a... It's not exactly a light romance. Um, as a love story, as a story of a of a person who passionately loves another person for his whole life, it is a beautiful story. And it's eloquently written, it's humorous, it's entertaining, it's inspiring. There's there's strong characters that you really appreciate. Well, a strong character that you really appreciate. And so, yeah, we're being a bit harsh because we're looking at it from modern standards. It It is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful movie. It's There's a lot of strong romantic notion in it. I think we're probably being harsh about it just because we live in an age of disillusionment. And, and if we were reading this before the era of airplanes and cell phones and, and the internet, I think we would be going, oh, this is so romantic. Oh, I wish someone loved me that much. Instead, of course, we're going, oh, this woman is stupid, you know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> she really failed, didn't she? But, <laughs> but I, I, I don't mean that to detract from the story itself or from the movie. What I'm thinking is actually makes it sound the story itself to be a little bit sexist in a way is that you're really supposed to only be looking at this story from Cyrano's point of view. And that's where you see the romantic elements. Mm -hmm. You're not really supposed to be looking at the, oh, well, poor woman who didn't know, like, well, she's just a woman. Forget, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, he was so, he was so clever and so genius that he could, you know, keep her from finding out, you know, and I think they touch on it a little bit. He takes to writing satires for 
the Chronicle or, you know, whatever, the newspaper. And you kind of get the impression that he gave up writing poetry after Christian died because he didn't want Roxanne to feel. I mean, he even says she'll never know. I'll never let her find out, you know. So in a way, yeah, you can see how he... I can see how he might have kept her from figuring out it was him. But what baffles me is that she doesn't look at this man who's coming to see her every week and spending so much time with her and, and you know, engaging himself and coming up with humorous stories for her. And he, she never once looks around and says, well, gosh, I was 19 when my husband died. There's a guy that actually really cares about me and he comes to see me. It's just this, it's baffling to me that she... For 14 years after that. She put him in the friend zone. And once she you're in the friend, friend zone. zoned him. Oh, that's harsh. Well, you see with the Contagish because he shows up before Cyrano comes. And, you know, obviously they're talking and he talks about how much he now respects Cyrano. But, um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think this is a woman that has a very, very steely friend zone box. And once you're in it, you're never getting out again. <laughs> nope. Wow. I suppose you could you could say from one standpoint, oh, but her devotion to Christian was so so great. But but it it just is. I probably should stop looking at it from a modern point of view. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is there is a great deal of romance in the story, and of course, you know everybody. There hopes. is no, there is because yes, she thinks she's being you know the she's living in a convent. She's she's not sought out. Uh, love after mm-hmm. Christian because she thought Christian was love that life. love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the the soul that she was in love with, mm-hmm. and now she's lost. And so there is a lot of romance to that. Uh, it's whether or not you want to consider it her fault that she doesn't see <laughs> that that it came from somebody else. You know, it's just yeah, it's it's a it's a twisted. You have to look around corners. At it, yeah. But yes, though the romance is there everywhere. You just you you just have to kind of twist and bend a little bit to see it. Well, and a lot of it, I think, is my modernist upbringing. I'm I'm going. It was what like ten weeks, I think, that she knew Christian before he went away to war. Who knows how long he was gone? She got letters every day until she went and saw him on the day that he died. And I'm going, that that's just not much time, you know. So and of course, you know, they're both very young and all that. So again, it's it's my modernist point of view probably that's destroying this pro- this poor movie that deserves so much better. Oh, yeah, no, this is this certainly isn't the first play uh, or film based on a play or, or literary work or whatever that had two young people that ob- that know each other for all of a few days and decide that they they'll kill each other <laughs> or over themselves. It. Yeah. Also one of my least favorite stories ever. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> I think I'm going to go find a bottle of poison. Or a sword to stab myself with. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it's interesting. I think, you know, we've, we've gone through this a bit and talked about all of the pet peeves. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think we both agree that Cyrano himself is a remarkable character whom we all would strive to be like. And I think there's just one question left. And if you had... If you could have incredible wit and sword fighting skills, but had to have a very huge nose, would you rather that, or would you rather be just remarkably good looking but not able to talk to women? I would. I would take the nose. Yeah. I would love to have that wit and that skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've already got the nose. I mean, like I'm already staring. 
<laughs> I may not be as witty as he is, and I definitely can't use a sword as well as he can. But yeah, I definitely would say I'm probably more of a Cyrano than a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there is one more question we need to ask, and that is, what would we rate this that film? That is a great question. And that's going to be a tough question, because like we said, this is not a general audience type of film. I mean, this is one you really have to dedicate yourself to, because it is two hours long, because the the dialogue, as we said, is very eloquent, very flowery, very prose, um, uh, lots of rhyme, um, lots of deeper... Wait, what did he say? Mm-hmm. Um, Some nuances. He's, he's, mm-hmm. you know, the nuances, yeah, it's not that... Oh, she's pretty. It's oh, she's the flower of the Orient and blah or, or something. You know, it, it, nothing is ever simple. You don't go through the door. You go through the uh, the portal of my heart. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yes, this is not a film for everyone. But is it a film that you would uh, recommend to people? I, it's kind of almost. There are bits. The first fifteen minutes is an absolute five because you got to see that sword fight. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think by definition, this is the type of movie that I have to recommend to people because it it has, even though it may not be big budget, well, it's not big budget, and it may not be to everybody's taste, I, it is along that vein of Don Quixote that there's a quote that I love in, it's from the strangest, the strangest source, but the quote is, people need stories. They tell us how to live. And this is a story like Don Quixote that tells you how to live. This sets us up with somebody to aspire to be like. It's a a hero in the true sense, not somebody that gets tossed into a situation and has to make hard decisions. It's a person who believes strongly what he does and stands by that to the point that he will sacrifice his own happiness for the happiness of the woman he loves, even just to keep her from being disillusioned. I mean, in that, that is massively powerful. That's the type of person I would hope that we all aspire to be like. And so from that perspective, I have to recommend this person, I'm sorry, this person, this movie to everybody, you know, even aside from the, the excellent dialogue and the, the, phenomenal wit of course the this is translated from another language so knowing that it's even better because you have to think well in the original language it must have been so good and then for them to have the skill to take it and bring it into english is really remarkable this is a movie that was made quickly and cheaply in the night in the 1950s in the early 1950s but it has some of the greatest qualities of storytelling in it and so for that reason I, I have to give it five stars, even though I I hate the ending. I hate any time that a great character dies. The reality is we all die. And so, you know, at some point, if you carry a story long enough, everybody's going to die. So you can't just, I, I as much as it's tempting to say, well, I can't give it five stars because of that. The reality is that's not a good reason not to give it five stars. Um it doesn't have, I think, exceptional breaking ground technology. It doesn't have, uh, you know, some of the things that you would think would determine whether or not it should have. Uh, sorry, keep saying stars. I mean, Othels. Um, but it it does have the essentials of a really excellent movie. It has strong actors 
throughout. Everybody that's cast, I think, was cast extremely well. There aren't scenes in it that feel superfluous. There aren't scenes that are awkward or badly edited, badly directed. Uh, each character serves his purpose and serves it well. I think there's there's nothing in this movie that I look at and see a huge flaw. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> there's there's nothing in it though that I I mean aside from there's some slight dramaticism at the end, but I think that's part of the character. Part of it is it's being adapted from a stage play. There are certain things I might have done a little bit differently, but they're not flaws. They're not faults, I should say. So no, I think I need to give it five othals um, from for for all the reasons I already listed, and also because, well, for all of those reasons, and because I can't think of a really good detractor, I can't think of a really good reason not to. No, and I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, if if I were to knock it at all, and it's not a knock on it, it's just a matter of the fact that, like I was saying, maybe this isn't a film for just absolutely mm -hmm. anybody. But I would encourage people to try to watch this one. Even if you think it's not for you, I would encourage you to try to watch it. Because it is a fantastic and a beautiful story. I think if I had saw a this on stage and it would have been done in French, whatever reason I end up in France going to a performance of Cyrano de Verjac, I would like, if I didn't already know French, this would inspire me to learn French. <laughs> it almost inspires me to learn French just so I could see this in the original French. Because mm. uh, you're right. It, it's got... French is, frankly, a very beautiful language. And to hear this story told in that language, I think, would be just astonishing. Mm. But yes, for all the, all the reasons that you've stated, and just because it is a very... It's a very romantic story. Like I said, I think you have to peer around the corners in order to really get the gist. I mean, this is a story that I think, and obviously I'm sure it has in theater classes and in uh, literary classes have probably been studied and, and well-deservedly so because there are, you know, the deeper meanings and mm -hmm. stuff to it. It is not a shallow film. Mm -hmm. This isn't a film that you can just see at the, at the surface, whatever they, they portray is what it is. No, you have to go a little deeper mm -hmm. to really get the true meaning of what happens in this. So yeah, I absolutely. I would recommend people to watch it and, and to give it a shot. And like I said, if nothing else, you're going to get some fantastic action scenes. <laughs> you will still come out, with some really great little bits of uh, witty dialogue and some clever insults that you maybe you can <laughs> adapt for daily life. <laughs> adapt. <laughs> well, I think the other thing that I didn't mention is throughout this movie, and I think it's something I picked up my third or fourth watch through the reactions to the characters there. It, it's wonderful because they don't give you tight, shots of reactions they're always a little bit on the side it's always somebody mm -hmm. is saying a line and the reaction of the other character is worth studying there's so much of that type of thing in this movie um it's not just about the dialogue the the so much of the story is told in the expressions of the characters responding to the dialogue so it is one that i think if you watch it the more times you watch it the more you appreciate it mm -hmm. and so i would say watch it once and then watch it again and really pay attention, maybe not to the person that's speaking, but maybe pay attention to the person that's being spoken to because it gives it a lot more depth, I think. 
And again, mm-hmm. another reason that I think it's just, it's really an exceptional film. I think it's great. I think I don't have anything else to say about it after that. Do you? I think that was as eloquent as I get. <laughs> it's going to do it for Liddy and I. Thank everybody. Thank you everyone for listening and tuning in. Uh, we'll be back in another month. So until then, um, again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.